You can rebuild a motor, reboot your computer, even kickstart the old scooter. But what do you do when your own mojo is mutilated? That's where we step in. Welcome to the Mojo Radio Show. Hey everybody and welcome to this week's edition of the Mojo Radio Show. Thank you for hitting the download button. Thanks for coming and spending a little bit of time on our little program. What are we about? Well, we just find interesting people from all walks of life and this week is certainly no exception. People who are, let's just say they've got their mojo working, in or out of work, in some aspect of their life, regardless of what it is, if we think we can chat to them and extract their opinions, their tips, their tools, the stuff that they do really well that we can then apply to our own world or in fact to the world of someone we know because quite often we know somebody who's lost their mojo and they need just a little picking up so we just talk to them extract the best of the best and share it out on the interwebs and driving the big red bus we call the mojo radio show uh robo welcome back almost the end of season five i know almost end of season five and the really exciting thing about the end of season five Remember a couple of weeks ago we talked about a, a, a program called This Might Get Loud, which had The yes. Edge and yeah, yeah, okay. Well, I've never been able to find the original, original movie, but thanks to one of our loyal listeners, I now have the link and I just have to find the hour and a half in my week to sit down and watch it, so I'm very excited. Well, I've got to say, if you look back through the last couple of weeks, for those people who may be joining us for the first time, Rob and I, before we started this session, which is the French for session, uh, we went back through, if you think of the last couple of weeks, Noel Razor-Smith, convicted armed bank robber, (laughs) leadership expert Ryan Hawke, Navy SEAL Jason Redman, New York Times bestselling author and and guy who started the slow movement across the world, Carl Honore, (laughs) FBI, Joe Navarro, (laughs) Giovanni Ditzman, who's a world meditation expert, Last week, the lovely Dr. Gabrielle Lyon, who talked to us about muscle-centric medicine and ageing and the brain and protein. I mean, just, we are on a bit of a roll at the moment. We are on a big roll at the moment. Um, It's a shame to slow down for the end of the season, but the next season's looking even better. So uh, there's something to look forward to as well. Well, I have to say, I don't think we are going to slow down this week because for the very first time on the show, we have a point man for SWAT. (laughs) <laughs> we just, I'd love to put some of our recent shows together. I put Noel Razor Smith, you know, <laughs> the FBI, put a few the of those FBI. together. Yeah. No, it's funny. Noel Razor Smith, the Navy SEAL, the FBI, and a SWAT guy. <laughs> Imagine the, some of the gold that'd come out of that lot together. Ladies and gentlemen, if you are just tuning in, we are going to kick ass. Supreme. The Mojo Radio Show. Dave Acosta is a mental fitness coach. She's on the speaking circuit in the States and is a corporate culture trainer. Dave is a fascinating guy. He was the key point man for the Las Vegas SWAT team. And following that, he became an international tactical instructor, which means that he works with hand-picked operators and instructors around the world to teach them about tactical response. Now, he's working with former SEALs and Special Forces guys, Marine recon operators. He studied why why are these elite guys elite? And he's created a formula that he thinks contains four common denominators that every elite performer possesses. And regardless of whether you are in athletics, in the corporate environment or the battlefield, the formula for success in Dave's mind is exactly the same. So what we're going to do is break this down with Dave and find out what are these qualities, how do we apply it to our own world to help get our own mojo working. So Dave Acosta, welcome to the Mojo Radio Show, mate. Well, thank you very much. It's a great honor to have you with us, mate. When when somebody meets Dave and says, what do you do, how do you like to reply? <laughs> you know, I'm not even sure what I do, to be honest with you. Um <laughs> I, I've made a living, um, in the tactical world, uh, you know, from, from being a young cop in Vegas, I've traveled the countries people don't even know are on maps and, uh, and provided security and consulting and, uh, even run operations. So, um, now I make a living mostly, uh, talking to people, uh, that want to elevate their personal performance 
um, or if they want to take a company to the next level or they want to be a better leader. I, I take so, so many of my experiences with, with these elite people that I've surrounded myself self with for years and try and relate the experiences that I've had, the things I've learned from, from these amazing men, um, and share those experiences. So it's, it's kind of morphed into now I've kind of gotten away from, you know, being behind the trigger and running operations to sharing what I've learned out there in these environments with these guys. But I believe a lot of those lessons translate into our daily lives as well as business. And, and that's what I'm doing now is sharing the message of, of those lessons. Dave, on the front of your website, it says, Dave Acosta, your defining moment. Why, why, what does that mean? What's your defining moment? Well, I believe that, um, that all of us, and it's not just one moment, but I believe that all of us will have moments in our lives where we're going to, we're going to be tested and, and we'll look back on those moments and we'll either be really happy with how we responded or we won't be. Um, and this is kind of a little bit lo- a longer answer, but if we're not happy with how we responded, that's okay. It's okay. As long as you can be honest with yourself and say, man, I wish I could do, could do a better job next time there's a moment like that, then great. Now you know what, what to work on. But we all have defining moments. Uh, and, and some of them, you know, when I talk about this, um, right now I'm spending most of my time training teachers how to fight back against, a, against an active shooter in a school. And most people, you know, they think I'm crazy because I'm telling these teachers, your last, you know, in a worst case scenario, you're going to have to physically fight back. Because if you just cower or huddle or even use your body as a shield, then you're preventing, you're you're postponing the inevitable by literally a fraction of a second. Um, And when, when they say you know, that it's hard to wrap their head around fighting back. You know, and I think of, think of a, 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 a female teacher that has nothing to do with guns in her life. And I'm telling her, you're it. There's going to come a moment that you're going to have to do something or you lose. And, and so do the children. And, and they, they struggle with that. But here's my example, and this will kind of round out the whole answer to the question. When they say they can't do it or they can't wrap their head around it, I say, okay, if your child, three years old, were to fall into a, a, a fast-moving river, would you stand there assessing all of the risks, including the fact that you're not a good swimmer, or do you just go in and grab that kid because you know that, that there's a small percentage or, or a small likelihood that if you do go in, you can save him, and that's good enough for you, you're going to go for it. And without a doubt, every parent says, of course I would go in. And so that's your defining moment. That's your defining moment. We're all capable of it. We all have that DNA in us. But not everybody knows how to tap into it at will. Sometimes it takes a special situation like that for us to, to jump into action. And I, you know, I'm trying to tell everybody that will hear me, the DNA is in you every day. Your defining moment there are defining moments in your life every day. What are you doing with them? Are you stepping up and being better than you thought you could be because now you recognize that in the right circumstances you're capable? You know? So I'm just kind of challenging challenging people by saying that. I don't know if that made sense. That's kind of rambled. <laughs> no, it does. It just and, and it, it takes me to an off-ramp. So I'm gonna get Robbo to take the big red bus to this off-ramp just for a second. And there's a couple of things in this, Dave, and when I talk to guys who are in tactical operations like yourself, I'm always wondering about how the world has changed today and do we need to be more aware of what's going on? And I guess the second part that may frame this better is what are you telling your own kids? So your own kids go out and they're going to go out as adults young adults into the world. They're your most precious commodity around you is your children. What's Dave telling and prepare? How are you preparing your kids to go out into the world today when the surroundings are changing? Um, all right. Well, let's take both of those. Um, 
first of all, more aware? Absolutely. 100%. It's, it, it, at least, you know, I, I can speak to the, to the, the changes in, in the overall culture and what is a threat nowadays in the United States versus what it used to be when I was young and when my parents were young. Um, so do we need to be more aware? Absolutely. And, and maybe part of that is, is that we're more distracted. So we need to preach awareness because we're more distracted. Um, if we've got these, you know, these computers in our hands the whole time, and, um, you know, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of immediate, uh, gratification in, you know, in your phone, whether it's, you know, seeing a like on, on Instagram or getting a text from somebody, or maybe you're doing business on it. So yeah, we need to be less distracted and more aware. So I, I say yes to that. Um, but one thing that I always tell every group I ever speak to is, um, the sky is not falling down. The world is not coming to an end. The, you know, this is not the apocalypse. We we have so much to be grateful for and so much to be happy about. And we're surrounded by so much good. If you're more aware, generally speaking, you're going to notice things that make you smile. You're going to notice things that are satisfying to you. You're going to notice the beauty, like you said earlier, of your surroundings. So if we're more aware, it's not just to be safe, it's more aware just to be grateful and to recognize how blessed every single one of us are. And there's power in that. And um, so all of a sudden, working at being more aware becomes a habit. And that habit eventually becomes part of your character because all of a sudden now you're recognizing that being more aware is actually rewarding in a good way to you and you're enjoying it. So yes, be more aware, but also there's there's a much better reward and a much better reason to be aware than just for the threat. Um, what do I tell my kids? I've, I've taught all three of my kids who are all adults and out of the house now. Um, I've taught my kids that um, things that scare people are a huge advantage for my children. Uh, I've taught them what a real threat is versus a perceived threat. And how to overcome fear and move forward in whatever their goals are in their lives. And, um, you know, we always have to be honest with our kids. I don't think that we, you know, we sugarcoat things. I actually live um, on a river in Spanish Fork. Uh, it's awesome. It's worth Googling on a Google Maps. I live right at the base of the mountain and I have a river across the street from me. I take my little grandson, Bill, and we fish at least once a week, you know, nine months out of the year. And I, you know, I would tell them as young kids, is the river dangerous? And it's not. In their mind, they see beautiful trout, they see ducks, they see raccoons, you know, they see water snakes and all of these other cool things. But I'm also honest with them because in the springtime, the river is running very fast from the snow melt and it is dangerous. And so I have to be honest with them and say, look, the river is safe most of the time. But there are times when we need to pay attention and you cannot go to the river and plan on being near the bank. I'm just not going to let you. It's too dangerous. That's just an example of, of you know, being honest with the kids. Uh, but again, this guy's not falling down. I don't just generalize and say the river's dangerous. You can't go there. Um, because then I'm instilling a false sense of fear. So... Um, I think when we're honest with the kids, but we encourage them. So that's a physical fear. Um, now, maybe, I, maybe I've gone on a tangent here, but I'll tell you this. I, I've told my kids that fear in general in life is it, it veils success. It's just a thin veil that covers success, and people can't see past it. Um, and so it's been fun to watch my kids grow up. My oldest daughter has created a business for herself and she's extremely successful and she created a business where she loves what she's doing. Um, she's a yoga model, but she has a social media following that exploded. And so the, the one of the biggest yoga companies came to her and hired her as a model. She didn't have to go be a model first. They came to her. She wrote a book. It, it went really well. My other daughter, believe it or not, she's as pretty as her sister, but she's a cop. And she loves 
she loves chasing bad guys. She loves chasing bad guys. <laughs> Jeez, where has she and, gotten that from? Know, <laughs> she yeah, exactly. She's her. She's her father's daughter, and it's really it's really funny because she's extremely powerful in, in as a woman, but she's very compassionate and 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 um, understanding as well. So she she's doing what she loves, and and then my son, my my youngest. You know, he's, he's attempting to become a Navy SEAL. He's in, in the program right now trying to qualify as a Navy SEAL. So all three of the kids are chasing their dreams. And um, I think there's power in teaching the kids that the world is a great place and that fear is something that if you can, if you can harness it and recognize what it is, that it, it's something that, that actually will empower you as long as you're willing to face it and go forward. So. I went on a tangent. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's interesting. You just mentioned the Navy SEALs, Dave, and you you were asked to consult to the SEALs in Iraq. And I'm just wondering, when you walk into that environment amongst elite performers who are the Navy SEALs and you're on their patch, I mean, that's their hood. That's, that's, their, that's their ground. That's yeah. what they know best. When you walk in, how did you handle your own mindset? to be able to go in and share and help these guys? That's interesting. That is a really good question. When when I had this opportunity, which is one in a million, right, not being a Navy SEAL myself, when these two SEALs came to me and said, hey, we think you, you might be a SEAL. We're going to send you to Iraq and work with, with other SEALs that are contractors now. We wanted to share your message. Um, I was worried about that. Um, one thing that happened is uh, amongst the SEALs, let's talk about this group for just a second, and this applies to other specialized groups in, in the military, whether it's the U.S. military or the Australian military. I actually had the opportunity to share the stage in Australia when I spoke at an event with Ben Robert Smith, uh, one of the most amazing human beings that I've ever met. Um, great guy. So, so we're talking about people like him. Um, they all are qualified at a level that most people will never recognize or understand because you just have to be there. Right. And they also don't introduce people into their group that someone else, you know, hasn't qualified for them. If that makes sense. So for me going in, I, I was worried about this, but there was a, a, a Navy SEAL, um, former Navy SEAL. He had, he had retired. His name was Mark Madsen. He was from SEAL Team 2. Um, he and I became very close. We had a couple uh, bad incidents right away when I got to Iraq. And, um, you know, obviously when it's all said and done and you walk away and you're still alive, you know, then you start doing these assessments. And... Um, I never asked him what his assessment was of my performance under stress in a bad situation. But um, we walked into our first real meeting with other guys like him, former SEALs that were in contracting. And before I addressed them and spoke, he said, hey, guys, this is Dave Acosta. He gave a little bit of my background. And he said, he's good to go. And that was it. It was it was done, and um, that is because amongst them, you you're not going to introduce a guy and say he's good to go, especially in that environment. If if it's bullshit, because that guy will get you killed. And um, so what, where I'm going with this is there's a qualification that has to be uh, that has to be achieved somehow. And so for me, I think if he hadn't have done that. I think it would have been awkward. I think guys would have sat there with their arms crossed and said, what are you, what are you going to tell us that we don't already know? Um, but when one of their own stuff and said, this guy's good to go, he has a great message. And, um, you know, at that point they were, you know, they were open to the message and, and how it might apply to each of them. And if, you know, if it didn't apply to them, it wasn't a big deal. Um, but at least they were willing. And so to be honest with you, I think that, um, I was very, very fortunate to have, have been with this guy that was open to having me there, number one, and then having been with him on a couple missions where things went bad before that, where I had a chance for them to see me and say, 
yeah, you know, we're not worried about having this guy with us in this environment. So qualification is everything. If we we continue down that ramp, you were basically accepted into the team by this guy going, he's good to go. So the team then accepted you straight up. And you've said that teamwork for the SEALs was very different to anything you'd ever seen before. Why is it so different, Dave? That's awesome. So, again, you know, I want to make sure that everyone understands that there's, you know, that we're differentiating. These are guys that that were SEALs that retired and left and went into the contracting world. So now we're all contractors, but a SEAL's a SEAL. (laughs) He's a SEAL for the next 100 years, okay? So you're right. Um, And they, at the time, most of the guys that I was working with, because it was a a Navy SEAL-owned company, were former SEALs. Um, what I noticed immediately, and, and by the way, I, you know, I'm an, a former operator as, as a SWAT point man on a team in Vegas where we were really busy. So I thought we were pretty good at what we did, tactically speaking. But compared to what these guys do in a war zone, and especially with contracting where you really don't have uh, the resources available if something goes bad, it was a whole nother world. And so that said, I noticed that, um, these guys, for example, they would get up early in the morning and do a morning workout. And, um, where we lived in a villa, my first, you know, my first trip out, we lived in a villa. We didn't really have a gym that we went to. So the guys kind of had this, this, uh, this, they probably invented CrossFit, <laughs> but it was kind of like a CrossFit thing where we were running up three flights of stairs in the villa, and then you'd get on the on the balcony and you would um, do some bear crawls, and you would carry some then blocks that they had, and you do certain amount of pushups and or I mean uh, pushups and then some pull ups, and then it was a circuit, and um, the training went for an hour by a stopwatch, and everybody did the training and they, they ran solid for an hour and you could stop if you had to puke and that's about it. <laughs> um, and I thought, Hey, if you know, if you knew me, you would say, Hey, I think Dave's in okay shape. I thought I was in pretty good shape, but this is my lifestyle and this was killing me, but it was interesting. Nobody cut corners. There wasn't one guy that, you know, faked an injury so he couldn't, didn't have to work out. There wasn't one guy that took, you know, a minute to take a drink of water. You know what I'm saying? Everybody was doing things at a level where they were putting out a hundred percent. And later on, what I started to learn from these guys was they would leave nothing to chance because the worst thing that could happen to them was not getting killed. The worst thing that could happen was that they were not prepared to take care of their brother. They do not, failing the man to your right or failing the man to your left is 100% unacceptable. That is living hell. And so everything that they did was about being prepared to step up and keep their brother safe, to not fail their brother. And that was something I had never seen before at this level. I mean, literally when we trained uh, exiting the vehicles under fire or any of the training we would do once we would get a client out to, to, you know, camp victory, sometimes we'd have four hours to kill. And, and, and Maddie, Mark Madsen would say, guys, let's go over the range. We're going to train. And I would tell him, you know, it's 120 degrees. We're going to put on our stuff and we're going to get out there and shoot after lunch. Right. You know, everybody wants to nap after lunch. And, and I said, uh, after a couple times of this, I said, Mark, I, I'm, I'm missing something here. It's, it's the worst time of the day for us to really be training right now because someone could suffer a heat-related injury right now, and we still got to run an office, you know, getting these guys back to the embassy or to the green zone. And we're going to run Route Irish, which is the most dangerous road in the world. And so I was kind of concerned about that, and, and so I said, what am I missing? And I'm really glad that I asked him what I was missing versus me telling him, hey, I don't think we should be doing this because I would have looked like an idiot. Um, The bottom line was he responded by saying something that changed my life. He said, Dave, here's the thing. Just picture this. At 5 p.m., we're going to roll back on Route Iris. 
Victor One, that means Vehicle One, is going to hit an IED. The vehicle is going to be on fire. Tug's going to be in the front right seat, unconscious. He's 200 pounds with his gear. You don't want your friend burning to death, so you're going to sprint up there under fire. You're going to try and pull him out of a burning vehicle while you're firing your M4 with one hand, putting down cover fire, trying to drag him back 50 yards. He said, it's going to be a hell of a lot hotter than it is right now. So we, we choose to train in the most austere, hostile environment we can find. So when the shit really hits the fan, we've already been there. and We can focus on our job. And that was a light bulb moment for me. These guys leave nothing to chance because it's not about them. It's not about them. It's about everybody but them. And that is the message that I return home with. And I started telling anyone who would listen to me. Can you imagine a work environment where everybody did their job because they didn't want to fail their teammates? They went above and beyond just to make sure that they were not the weak link. Can you imagine a corporation where everyone felt like that? What would the performance level be at that company? You know, what is the performance level in our own families? What is the performance level in my house with my kids and my wife if we all got on that same page? You know, I think maybe that's where you could start. Let's start on our families. It's a little bit easier to look and go, look, in spite of the fact that, you know, I'll tell you that you maybe don't want to be that compassionate or loving when your kids are teenagers because they know so much more than you. But um, <laughs> that's, you know, that's, that's a good place to test it. When you got teenagers and, you know, really testing that, that brotherhood and that love. But the bottom line is that might be a good place to start and say, hey, listen, it, it truly is something that I can relate to at the family level because if any of my kids were in danger or trapped in a burning car, I wouldn't assess the risk. I would just go. Okay, well, are you prepared to go? So now that's the next question. Are you prepared to go? Have you worked out so that physically your body won't fail you when your brother's counting on you to come and get him? Mentally, are you prepared? Spiritually, are you prepared to do whatever it takes to save someone else? So I, I honestly, that changed my life. I came home. I believe it translates into all aspects of our lives personally. Uh, with our families and with businesses. A student that has worked with you said of you, they said, Dave has a unique quality. He goes beyond just teaching tactics. He restores and reinforces his students' trust in themselves. To do the stuff you're talking about, Dave, you'd have to have trust in yourself. How do you, in your own coaching and your own training with your students, how do you go about instilling that trust in themselves? Well, I think the uh, the biggest thing for me is something I kind of alluded to earlier is I have to get them to understand that they and I are the same because that is where a lot of resistance, when I do get resistance to what I'm saying, that's where it is. I, I've had people tell me, yeah, I get it. Your message is inspiring. It's motivational, but I ain't you. You know, I'm a been where you've been. I'm a done what you've done. It's not my nature to run into, you know, these situations. And so I have a really hard time, you know, believing that I'm capable of, of whatever it is that, that David Coast is saying. And that's why I always come back to the example of the river, because every one of them, every one of the guys that I talk to and gals are capable of the next level. But what the problem is, is they don't understand the proper motivation. We're capable of so much more than we realize when someone that we love and we couldn't imagine failing is in trouble. So I just try and tell people, listen, that, that you're the same guy if you would go into the river for your kid or if, or if you saw strangers on the side of the road in a car accident and the car was on fire and you knew that, that you could get that person out. If you just went over there and helped, if you made an effort, you knew you could help them get out, would you do it? And then, you know, I would say 99% of the people I talk to are like, well, I would at least try. Okay, then what is the difference between me and you? It's in you, but you're saying you will only tap into that DNA if the situation merits it. Why the crap won't you do that today, right now, every day? 
You have it in you. And and that is the thing I, I feel like where I've had a lot of success is the moment I can get someone to look and go, well, wait a minute. This guy's saying that, that I'm an equal to him and any of his buddies and that he would take me with them. I, want, I try and get people to understand. I would take you with me if you can buy into the fact that you're capable. And, of course, when we put a loved one in the situation, everybody's capable. And once they realize that, they, they recognize that truly they are capable. Now they're open to figuring out how do we tap into it for that individual every day? How do we get that individual every day to say, I'm going to work on, on, on being more confident. I'm going to test myself. I'm going to push myself because I am capable. Is part of what you're talking about, I've heard you say that you believe in three things, recognize, assess, and react. Is the next part of what you're discussing with us right now, is that the next part to recognize, assess, and react? Recognize, assess, and react is a process that everybody has to go through in a critical incident. Um, So absolutely. And, and, you know, a critical incident can only last a few seconds, um, but recognize, assess, and react, uh, the process that we take, you know, it applies in life in general as well, but um, let's just talk about what, what does that really mean? So, uh, for example, let's put ourselves in the situation, uh, at least as a, a police officer in the United States, okay? Um, that police officer pulls over a vehicle for not having their lights on at night. Um, it's a simple mistake a lot of people make. They don't, don't, you know, they start driving at dusk and don't remember to turn their lights on. And so the police officer pulls them over, starts walking up to the car to just let them know, hey, your lights aren't on. And the next thing you know, as the window comes down, there's a big flash. There's a loud sound. There's an impact in in the officer's chest. Well, what's just happened? What the officer didn't know is this person is leaving the, the scene of a domestic violence incident where he killed his wife. And so that first contact innocently for the police officer was to tell the guy about his life and the guy's response before the officer can do anything is to open fire once the officer's close enough to the window. So the officer has to go through those three steps. He has to recognize what's happening. Hey, I'm being shot at close range. He has to assess who's shooting me. Where is that guy in relation to me? And if or not if, but as that per that officer is drawing his weapon and trying to return fire, is there a passenger in the car? Am I going to be able to return fire without hitting an innocent person? This is how an officer thinks in fractions of a second. Also, where's my cover? Can I move the cover quickly enough? And how severely am I injured? That's a lot of stuff going on, but it has to go on in order. You got to recognize it. Yeah, I'm being shot. Assess. How badly am I injured and can I return fire right now? And do I have cover? Where is it? And I'm moving to it. And then react is the actual action that's behind those two, those two first components. You know, it's interesting too, um, while we're talking about that in this small time frame, I I train a lot of cops. I have to train highway patrol in, in the United States differently than I train any other police officers when we talk about being mentally prepared. Do you know a highway patrolman, if he's on a stop on a freeway, the last thing you you want him to do is create distance backing directly away from the door because he might back right out into oncoming traffic. And so he really has only one direction to go. So when I work with highway patrolmen, I help to train them to react immediately by moving directly back. By not stepping out into traffic, um, where other officers in urban environments, we move to wherever cover it. You know, we can go any direction. So it's kind of interesting. Um, recognize, assess, and react uh, for a police officer. You know, it's it's very subjective again to the situation. But recognize, assess, and react on a personal level to somebody with a relationship. What about? In the corporate world, recognize, assess, and react based on what? Based on what you know is happening with the company, based on what's happening with your boss or or your employees if you're the owner of the company. 
Um, I think that recognize, assess, and react applies uh, in all of these other different scenarios as well. And perhaps the distraction that you talked about earlier in the show is preventing us from being able to see it a lot of times, then spending the time to assess it and think about it rather than just a rash reaction to something. Would it be fair to say that as you take people through this, and I guess it's it's a little the same as I've heard the Air Force pilots talk about the OODA loop, which is observe, orient, make a decision, and then act. But although that happens in a split second, it's the matter of doing it over and over that allows you to do it in a split second but if you are distracted and you are not looking around, I guess you kind of miss the first part of that, don't you? Absolutely. You nailed it. That, that's a really good observation on your part. You, if you miss the first part of it, you know, you look up from your phone and you've already missed the recognize. So you might jump right to react based on, you know, you trying to connect dots that aren't really there. So, you know, recognize, assess, and react. If you're not paying attention and someone yells, look out, and you hear skid, you know, skidding, but because you're distracted, you don't even know, look out where, behind you, front of you, side, left, you know what I'm saying? So um, when, when we are paying attention, we're gathering information before the incident even happens. So you're absolutely right. If we're distracted, we miss that. And, and again, another thing that you nailed right now was your example, you know, with, with these Air Force pilots and OODA loop. Um, it absolutely 100%. If you are trained and, and, and you spend a lot of time working in a, in a, maybe what other people would think is an insanely uh, high stress environment, you become really good of recognizing, assessing, or reacting in a split second and under control, where those decisions are made in confidence. Trust me, I was the point man on a SWAT team in Vegas. We ran, you know, there were a couple of years where we averaged two operations every 24 hours. And, you know, I'm going to, this is even an example, you know, I, I remember this, this one incident specifically, we got a call um, from LAPD homicide that a, uh, a, a double homicide suspect had been followed somehow to Las Vegas. And um, we, we put, a, I think our narcotics guys got him. We were going to go hit the place. This guy has nothing to lose. You know, he's wanted for a double homicide. They're armed. They're, they're you know, bad game bangers. So we're going to get to the door. We're going to breach it. We're going to try and get inside through that fatal funnel, which is the door orient ourselves to multiple moving bad guys who are armed and um, try and, and, and take them down and, and if necessary, engage them before we lose any guys. Um, you want to talk about high stress. Mm. And I remember thinking and talking to the guy that was breaching the door because I'm first guy in. And I, and I just looked at him matter of fact, and I just said, Hey, you got to get the door on the first shot. Because anything beyond that, we're going to start taking rounds through the door and through the, and through the wall. And the walls are just stucco. So we're all kind of hanging out. So I probably shouldn't have said that looking back. I put a lot of pressure on the guy. But then again, he knocked the door pretty much off the hinges by himself. <laughs> so he was motivated. Um, but I'll never forget. Um, this is the interesting thing. And I'm really glad you asked this question. The training that we just talked about with these pilots, they're saying that, you know, if you train enough, it becomes something that you're able to do quickly. I can remember to this moment, as clear as if I was there, seeing all three of the first guys as the door popped open. I brought my weapon up. There was a guy 10 feet away on a couch reaching for a 45 that was sitting on the glass table. Another guy had just sprung up off of the floor where he'd been sitting and was trying to run up some stairs. And another guy was jumping over the couch, moving away from us into the kitchenette. And I could see clearly that he was trying to pull a handgun out of his back pocket. All of that in that instant as we moved in and as flashbangs were being thrown past me. I didn't wait for the flashbangs to, to hit. We had to move. Um, anyway, it's, it's just interesting that, you know, now that you bring this up, to look at a situation like that. 
And, you know, had I been a rookie, but that been my first search warrant, I probably wouldn't even remember anything but the boom of the flashbangs. Mm. But in that moment, I was calm enough to, to be able to read the situation and see all three of these different things going on and recognize which threat for myself and my teammates was a threat that I needed to address first as the first guy in the door. So, um, that's a really, really, uh, you know, that's a really cool thing that you brought up because it brought back a, a memory to me about working in those environments and having that recognize, assess, and react to be part of who I was. And it's interesting, Dave, because you carry that with you, and I suspect even to this day you still you're still in great shape. You obviously mentally are still sharp, and you've been called a mental fitness coach. And what I'm curious about is when you work, just like, so we take a corporate worker and they're constantly looking for books and videos and podcasts to bring them back in the game. And they're in the game, they let themselves slide, gets to a point, they go, got to get back in the game, but they don't, they don't stay the course. And what I'm curious about is how do elite performers stay the course? Because one of the issues I see today is that people are good for a bit, then they fall off the wagon. And when they fall off, they go a long way down. And they've got to drag themselves back up. And there's this continuous yo-yoing where they're just unable to really stay the course. How does someone who's mentally unfit get fit and stay fit? Getting getting fit, you know, when, when we talk about that, the, the mental fitness, um, getting fit is, first of all, this is my opinion, they, they have to be so uncomfortable with where they're at that they finally do something about it. So it's the same thing as being physically unfit. You know, um, one of my daughters uh, was a was a fitness trainer, the one that's a police officer now. And I remember she'd get frustrated when she was a fitness trainer because, you know, people wanted free advice from her and they would never execute. And, and I tell them all the time, you know, don't ask for fitness advice until you're so sick of what you see in the mirror or how you feel that you're actually going to execute, you know? Um, so you have to get to a point where you're like, I, I can't do this anymore. I'm ready. Now at that point, that's where I really like working with people because I know they're serious about changing. So, so that's the person that's hit that barrier, right? They're, they're not saying that, you know, mentally they're as fit as they can be, whether it's an athlete or, or, or a professional, you know, um, in, in business. So that's point number one, recognize it and decide you're going to do something about it, legitimately do something about it. Um, and then what we do is we start changing it up. And, and that's what I think the key is. Change it up. You can't keep doing the same things and expect a different result. And I remember speaking to a group of very high-performing people, mainly CEOs, and um, I remember this lady sitting up front, and she was not buying into what I was saying whatsoever. And, uh, it, it bugged me. It bugged me. And I said, Hey, let me just tell you guys something. There's a couple of you in this room that think that all you came in here to do is get a lunch and, and, and I'm boring you. But let me tell you this, you might be the best CEO on the planet, but that's because you're so good at what you do. You're on autopilot. So that's not a, a, a great accomplishment. Let me just tell you, you're not as cool as you think you are. Well, all of a sudden now I had her attention. And she was giving me the eye, like, you don't know anything about me. And so I just said, you know, you might be the greatest CEO in your company, but you've been doing it for so long. Anybody can be good at something if they just do it all day, every day. So you're not special. Why don't you take two weeks off and go skydive if you haven't done it before? Why don't you take two or three months off and go climb a mountain, get a trainer and learn how to climb a mountain? Or, and I just named off a bunch of crazy things, right? Some bucket list things. And I said, now, if you're, if you're the person that's sitting out there saying, Dave, you're an idiot. How do you think I got where I'm at? Do you think that I can leave my company for two weeks or four months to go do these things, to challenge myself, to wake myself up? You're crazy. And my answer to that is, and again, I'm just giving these scenarios, right? I said, my answer to that is this. If you can't leave your company for two weeks or four months, you're a shitty leader because what you've done is you've made sure nobody else can take over the company. 
Nobody else is as good as you. If you're a great leader, you know, you can go and come back four months later and the company's going to be running better than ever because you've created some people that have, you've instilled, you've empowered them with leadership skills that they could step up and do better than you. So if you're not that good of a leader, let's fix it. Anyway, that's, that's where I'm going. That's what I do. I challenge people to be uncomfortable and to stop doing the same things that they've been doing for so long because they're dead. They're dead. They're not excited about life. They're not excited about challenges because they just, they're zombies. And it's awesome because once you realize that the key to staying mentally fit is to continue to grow and learn and do new things. I mean, think about a little kid. I got, I got my grandkids, but my, my granddaughter in particular, I, I love watching her. She's about two years old, and almost everything she does when I'm around her is something new. It's new. I mean, don't leave a ladder in front of a two-year-old. You know what they're going to do? They're going to climb the damn thing. Well, I should say, don't leave a ladder in front of a two-year-old if grandma's around. Because grandma's going to grab them, rip them off there and go, don't do that. That's dangerous. Grandpa's like, go. Go to the top. You know, I'm there. I'll catch her. She's learning new stuff every day. That's why kids are happy. Because they're not geo-fenced in. They're not fenced in by false expectations and, and other shit. Everything to them is a new adventure, and they're growing all the time. They're mentally as fit as anybody could be. I'm mindful of our time together. I've got two two quick things to ask you before. I mean, I've got two pages of stuff to talk to you about, so we could be here for the rest of the day. However, um, <laughs> question for you. I heard you say, and I'm fascinated by this, you said in Iraq you learnt and you said to yourself, I'm capable. Like you actually said that to yourself. You went, I'm capable. What made you believe that over there? Why, why was it there was a moment where you actually admitted and committed yourself to say, I can do this? What, what, what happened there? Well, there's no question that I wouldn't have gone to Iraq if I didn't think I was capable in the first place. But I also didn't know what I was getting into, right? So you, know, you always want to believe that you're capable. We want to believe that we're capable in a critical incident of stepping up and, and, and doing whatever needs to be done. So that's good, right? You have to have confidence. But until you're really there and the incident is going down, that's when you have that epiphany. I'm capable. And I'm capable. You cannot say I'm capable until shit is going down. So you just got to go. You got to jump in. And and that's what happened to me. When things started popping and I... I got excited. The adrenaline rush was there and I realized that I wasn't having tunnel vision and I was understanding what was going on. It was a rush. Like I could never explain to anybody because in the middle of it, you're just like, I can do this. Not, not that you didn't think you could, but, but it, there's always something about proving it, you know? So maybe, maybe it's kind of like standing on the edge of a cliff and it's, you know, if you've never jumped off of a cliff into the water before and you're standing at 50 feet, that seems like a long way up. But until you're in the air, and then you're, you're really not doing it until you're in the air, but you must have thought you could do it because you made the freaking climb, right? <laughs> the confirmation is you jumped. And then you're like, shit, yeah, dude, I got this. And then what do you do? You get out and you climb up again. And then now you're going to climb a little higher. That's life. This is what it's all about. And in being in this environment with these guys and watching these guys operate, they weren't going to let each other fail. That was empowering to me. It wasn't about Dave Acosta, by the way. Let me just tell you, we all need each other. That was another light bulb moment for me. I don't care if you're a Navy SEAL or a Green Beret or if you're Ben Robert Smith. You need your teammates. So my challenge to everybody is, are you the teammate that you want and the people that surround you? Because if you're not, fix it. Fix it. So, yeah, I, I think that's one of the reasons I knew I was capable because I had the right people around me. That, that's a huge concern. Hey, uh, one last thing. Bruce Lee, the famous movie star, martial artist, had a saying, and it was, it's not the daily increase but the daily decrease. Hack away 
at the unessentials. What's something that you've hacked away at and got rid of that's had a big di- made a big difference to your world? Awesome. That's a great question. Let, let me just uh, qualify this for me. What, what I tell people all the time is learn to be a better quitter. And when I say that, it goes so against everything they think they're going to hear from me that they're like, wait a minute, what? I'm like, yeah, learn to be a better quitter. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, ask your wife, hey, can you write down five things that I could quit doing that would make our relationship better? Oh, and you're going to have to ask her to stop. You're going to have to ask her to stop. <laughs> it. Okay. So if we can be honest with ourselves, let's ask ourselves, what, what three things could I quit doing right now that would make me a better husband, father, you know, employee, teammate, right? Be honest. And so in asking myself those questions, one of the things that, that has been gold for me in the last, hundred and some odd days is I've stopped worrying about shit that doesn't matter. Mm. Honestly, there's so many little things that we get stressed out about that don't matter. It, I mean, what does it matter? You know, uh, there's things that aren't worth getting upset about. So don't get upset, but there's little things like I, I'm, I, I, I'm a little, uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Um, attention, attention deficit or whatever. I, I can't remember what that is. ADD, I guess is what they call it. I'm all over yeah. the place. Yeah, and, and a lot of guys like me are, okay? So that's why we're not good behind the desk. But that is a problem for me. I procrastinate, and um, then I make a list for myself, and then I stress out because the list didn't get done, and then I become ornery. And then, you know, now I have to apologize to my wife for being such a jerk. <laughs> and by the way, by the way, if you, if you want to be happy, learn to say I'm sorry and be sincere about it. Learn to say I'm sorry, I, I was wrong and you were right, and be sincere about it. It, it will change your life. But anyway, coming, coming back to this, um, you know, what if something doesn't get done? I don't sweat it anymore. Hey, it didn't get done. Does it really matter? No, it really doesn't matter. Because... There are so many other things that did get done. I'm going to focus on the things I accomplished and be happy about them. And that's it. You know, I'm going to focus on my victories, not, not the things that didn't go right. And I embrace the victories because I'm going to tell you right now. And, you know, if this is what we're ending with. Let me just say this. We kill ourselves. We, we, we abuse ourselves. We punish ourselves. We demean ourselves. We hold ourselves to this unrealistic standard and we think that there's these expectations out there and that everybody's judging us. And I couldn't think of anything that's more bullshit than that. Nobody gives a damn about us. Let me just tell you, people don't care. We all, all of us are so engrossed in our own problems and our own issues that, you know what, if your marriage didn't work out, nobody's judging you except for you. What can you do next time? So if you have a second go around, you're a better husband, you know? If you didn't perform the work very well today, so what? Perform better tomorrow. But but we all judge ourselves and, and we're hard on ourselves. And that's, that is the slippery slope that is depression later on because we don't like ourselves. And, and coming back to what you said earlier in the program, you said talk about being aware. You know what? Look around you and make a list of five things that, you that make you feel blessed and lucky because just like you know you can make a list of the things you need to quit doing you can make a list right now of five things that, that make you feel like you're a very blessed person if we can all do that every day we're going to be a lot easier to get along with and we're going to recognize that we are enjoying so much more success than we ever imagined right now you know dave just dropped a word in there gaz that i think we're going to have to put up on the mojo show wall that we don't use enough <laughs> Ornery. I was feeling ornery. ornery. Eh? I, I there's tell a boy, you what, there's a there's a boy from Utah. There too. That's, <laughs> that's going into the that's going into the Mojo Show Hall of Fame. That one. Ornery. Come on, that's Woo-hoo. a little bit wild. It's a little bit wild on Jennings. It's Come bit, on. Uh, it's also a bit John Wayne. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, Dave, it has been a real privilege speaking to you. Honestly, I've got so much more to ask you about yet. So I think uh, next year we'll get you back on again if you can spare some time to chat some more. I um I've I figured out a way that we can practice 
what Dave was talking about too, we could recognise that we're thirsty, assess that there's Dos Equis in the fridge and a bottle opener in the kitchen and react by grabbing a glass from the cupboard. That's where I was going to go because I was going to say I don't think there's ever been a guest on the show that you'd feel more safe in a pub having a beer with than David Costa. I mean, Absolutely. I think next time you come out here, mate, we need to line up uh, line up a couple of uh, a couple of tappies, we call them, some schooners, and uh, have a beer with you, mate, because I think I'd be pretty happy being leaning up against the bar talking to David Costa. Well, it sounds like I'd be surrounded by the right guys, so uh, it'd be a lot of fun. Mate, we know all the bars. Don't worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and, the, and the barmaids. That's um, right. Where do we where do we find more about you, Dave? So those people who want to investigate the work you're doing, there's some great stuff on your website. Where, where do you send people your socials, your website? They can find out more information at davidcosta.com. That's the website uh, that we're working on right now, but there is information there. It will be updated soon. And uh, the website where we're working with people on, on how to overcome and fight back and win regardless of the situation, that is fightbacknation.org, fightbacknation.org. Fightbacknation.org. Gaz, I will be checking that one out. Uh, You can also follow us on Instagram too. Don't forget the social media, mate. You'll be in trouble. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, Dave, this has been uh, terrific, mate. We'd love to have you back on the show down the track because there is loads more that we never got to, but I'm very mindful of your time. Thank you. Just, mate, thank you so much for joining us. It's uh, it's a real honour. The information you've shared has been gold and um, you just sound like a top bloke. Thank you, guys. It's a pleasure talking to you and I really appreciate your time and, and I'm honoured to be a guest on your show. The Mojo Radio Show. Simmer down, you noisy, screaming thing. I don't know about you, but if I was told you've got to kick the door down and walk into the room with how many, God knows how many crims on the other side of the door, I'd be, um, actually, I'm not feeling real well right now. Do you mind if I just sit down for a second? <laughs> that story, I've never heard Dave tell that story before. That's an absolute cracker. And oh, I got to say, I, I was imagine. right behind him with my hand on his shoulder going, you go first. <laughs> but imagine going through the door. And knowing there are guys on the other side who are armed, who don't like you at all, and are happy to take you down, man, I tell you what—that that that was a top interview. I I, we're certainly not slowing down for the end of season five. That's for sure. (laughs) That's for sure. Absolutely. Robbo's twenty cents worth. So to take us out of this week's little program, mate, what have you found on the interwebs? As you know, I love spending in my spare time. I love just goofing around on YouTube, looking at you know, music videos and interviews with artists and all that sort of stuff. And I came across one from a guy. Uh, are you aware of a guy called Jason Mraz? Negative. Okay. You'd probably know this song, though. So Sadly, I don't know, I must have heard that in the back of a taxi, but yes, I have heard that song. <laughs> it was back of an Uber. Yeah, well, <laughs> Channel, Channel 9 here in Australia actually used it for a promo too, so you probably heard it there as well. But um, yeah, well, Jason's been around for the last eight or nine years. He's been on the charts. And, um, and I just came across this interview with him, and I thought you in particular would be interested with this piece. I've spent the last couple of summers just backpacking around, mostly Western Europe. Um, if I came across other musicians, I would certainly play along, learn what I can. And that's how I've always developed my skills is by sitting with another artist, watching their hands, seeing the way they interact with it, even to the point of what foods do they eat? How do they take care of themselves? Because to me, art is a very full body thing, you know? It's everything that you put in yourself and think goes into how you express yourself. So if I weren't meeting actual musicians in various parts of the world, I would definitely acquire music, you know. I love to sit and listen to bands and take local CDs. Then when I get home, I fill my iPod up and, you know, people always ask me, what are you listening to? And I have no idea. So like I said, I, th- I heard that and I thought of you, Gaz. Well, I don't think the song so much is us or his style is us. However, the message, I, I actually quite like his message. I think that... It's one of the things that we're not doing today is we're not – It's you know, it's funny. When you think about it, the beauty of reading and learning is that you have a repository of the greatest minds ever that have put their thoughts down 
in writing. Now, in today's world, they can put their thoughts down on a video clip. They can put it down onto a podcast. They can put it down onto a blog. And what I took from Jason is really looking at those people and studying them and not copying them, but taking away what it is they do really well and applying it to our own world. And we talk about Bruce Lee on the show quite often. And Bruce Lee had a saying that said, adapt what is useful, reject what is not, create what is uniquely your own. And I think that's kind of the essence of our show, isn't it? That we talk to a lot of people, we get a wide variety of thoughts and opinions on lots of different fields with the view that people will, if they like something, take it. If they don't like it, just delete it off the desktop. Don't even take it in. Don't even bother writing it down. However, if you take something you like, make it uniquely your own, as opposed to just copying what a Jason Redman or a James Clear or a Carl Honoré has done, is take it away and make it uniquely your own. And it's only by taking the time to truly study somebody and read in fact, that's a classic example was uh, Joe Navarro only a couple of weeks ago from the FBI. Now, he was a student of Winston Churchill, and he had said he's read six, seven, maybe eight books just on Churchill because he wanted to know Churchill intimately. To me, that's what Jason is doing, is looking at other artists and studying them right down to what they eat and how they eat to take away the best of the best, but then apply it to your own world. So. Um, that's a good story. Very cool. The Mojo Radio Show. <laughs> we don't take ourselves too seriously. Oh, thank God. All right, so I'm going to set this up. Yeah. Join these together. <laughs> okay. One of your favorite artists of all time. Yep. You're the point man for the SWAT, Las Vegas SWAT. You know mm-hmm. there are crims on the other side of that door you've been following. <laughs> you know they're armed. Yep. Your job... <laughs> is to kick in, <laughs> kick in that door <laughs> and go and get them bad guys. Yeah. So take your favourite artist, <laughs> the fact you're going to have to kick in that door. Yeah. What track am I thinking? Um, in excess, Baby Don't Cry. <laughs> <laughs> We're out.
Gojo Radio Show is produced and recorded in the studios of Voodoo Sound. For more tips and tools to get your mojo working, check us out on Facebook at the Mojo Radio Show or online at themojoradioshow.com. For more about Gary, see garybertwhistle.com or to polish your next audio or video production, check out voodoosound.com.au. And for the right voice, realtimecasting.com. Andrew Peters speaking. See you next time.